When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, hello, I am Matt Williamson. This episode is brought to you by Live Casino, as always. And folks, it's all going down at the FanDuel Sportsbook and Lounge at Live Casino, where you can get in on all the action this football season. Bet on your teams with a sportsbook rep or at our self-service kiosks, and then jump into the stadium on our giant 40-foot video wall. How's that for a touchdown? Join your friends at Live Casino Pittsburgh, Route 30 at the Westmoreland Mall, Bet, watch, and win. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. What we're going to do today is dig into Super Wild Card Weekend. Five of the six are in the books. We got Bucks, Cowboys tonight. Um, but I'm always going to put a Steelers spin on things, too. I think you can learn things from a Steelers perspective, watching these games, dissecting these games, you know, what works in the league, where the, the, the chinks in the armor are, the good teams, how you can exploit that. Um, and quickly, I, I prefaced the playoffs by saying, and I'm not, I don't regret this, that, boy, the Steelers are clearly better than some of these playoff teams. Seattle, I cited. Miami, as currently constructed. The Giants, maybe the Vikings, the Ravens, maybe the Bucks. You know, that to me, going into the playoffs, not seeing those games, I thought the Steelers would have been a middle of the road of the 14 playoff teams. Certainly not at the Niners level or the Bills or hey, they could have gone to Buffalo if they would have gotten in and got smoked by 40 like they did earlier in the year. But I will say those teams that I kind of just brushed off as non-contenders were pretty darn impressive and just shows what playoff football is. You know, I mean, that it's one game. These guys are playing with unbelievable injuries, unbelievable desire. You know, that all that matters is just getting the win no matter what. I mean, if you have to play out of your comfort zone schematically time and time again, so be it. You just have to figure out to, a way to win that game. And it sure would have been fun to have the Steelers involved in that. And maybe they would have pulled something off. Or, you know, I mean, kind of just want to talk, touch a little on each game specifically. You know, Seattle is kind of the example of that. Pete Carroll is a Tomlin-like coach that kept his team very competitive, you know, for a half. <laughs> maybe a little more than a half. Massively overwhelmed in terms of talent. I mean, there's not a more talented organization than the you know roster than the Niners right now, and I think the Niners, 
this is a you know Steelerism is I know some of you have given me a hard time or questioned boy the Steelers don't need a third receiver they need more linemen more linemen hey I, I mean I love linemen like the next guy don't get me wrong but when you can throw Ayuk Debo Kittle McCaffrey a versatile chess piece like Uzcheck who I think has some Hayward like you know Connor Hayward like traits as well. And you scheme that thing up, and we'll talk offensive coordinators down the you know later in the week with a mind like Shanahan. Like it doesn't matter almost who your line and quarterback are. I mean, and it's it's just a volcano that is going to erupt with all the weapons and the talent on the field. And that was the second half for the Niners. I mean, you just can't keep an offense like that down. And Seattle did a really good job. And for the for for a half and for a very familiar opponent, you know we saw three division games where this was the third time playing each other. Shanahan and Carroll know each other unbelievably well, but I do think that third matchup favors the less talented team because I have more data, I have more tendencies to go off of, and and that can last for an entire game, you know. But in Miami's case, in Baltimore's case, Seattle's case, that. I think that was a big factor in hanging around as long as you did, even though you were the lesser team on paper. And I thought this weekend was a good example of that. I think the Steelers could have potentially pulled off a similar result, you know, hung around with a good team, maybe even knocked somebody off, possibly. Um, So I think that's encouraging when you think about playoff football. And it just makes me realize just how hard it is to win a single playoff game in this league. And I felt like Seattle in this game was kind of like that basketball, a college basketball team that has a really good half, but then the four and five stars keep coming off the bench for Duke or North Carolina, and you just can't keep up anymore. Um, Chargers, Jags. Another weird trend from the weekend, too, was all sorts of production from tight ends this weekend. I don't know what that's all about, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Chart. I mean, Lawrence, to me, just showed how even keeled and his head on his shoulders, how important that is for a young quarterback. And I also think there's a lesson to be learned getting him some weapons. Like everyone wants to talk about the coaching upgrade in Jacksonville and it's massive, obviously it's night and day, but a lot of us gave them a hard time. Like why are you spending all this money on Evan Ingram and, and Kirk and Zay Jones it brings me back to, if you're going to have a young quarterback, you better surround him with weapons. You know, is the Jags O-line dominant? No, it's below average. It's worse than the Steelers. But they gave him adequate weapons, an explosive running back, ATN. They got a lot of explosives in this in this game. And as bad as he played and as unlucky as he was in the first half, didn't ever really falter. And I think the Steelers have a lot of those traits as well. Like when things go bad, like they did for the full first half of the season, you don't have to change your tune. We wrote a good script here. We're going to stick with it. It didn't go our way. It'll get better. And I think the Jags exemplified that. Where the Chargers, here's another trend of the weekend too. Some of these teams, the Chargers really come to mind, couldn't put teams away with a running game. You know, I mean, running game in this time of year, in the playoffs, particularly on the road, is still unbelievably important. I mean, they have Austin Eckler, and they had a, what, a 27-7 to lead at the half. And he only got 13 carries the whole game. You know, like, he's a great back. They don't run the ball well. But you just can't do that. I mean, Staley, to me, 
should very much be on the hot seat. Well, if they don't, they do make a move, you know, we'll talk about that. But he's also a really good defensive coordinator. Had the Jags very confused in the first half. But the, the Jacksonville adjusted. They kept the course. And the Chargers imploded. And I feel for Herbert, to be honest with you. Again, uh, Dolphins-Bills was another example of just familiarity. I mean, the Dolphins scored a non-offensive touchdown. They had a lot of issues getting plays in and penalties plagued them. Like, this game shouldn't have been this close to me. I mean, you, you watch it and you're thinking, why is Miami still in this game? They can't run the ball at all. But the Bills... You know, they don't have that run game to lean on either. I mean, you have a lead at home against an inferior opponent and you're counting on Josh Allen to make every play. It's Farvian to me, you know, I mean, that he makes remarkable throws, but you're still asking too much. I mean, again, this goes back to how the Niners were constructed or the Jags weapons. I know Davis tears things up in the playoffs, but it's all Diggs and all Allen for them. And to me, that's a problem. And if they play like they did in this game against Cincinnati or Kansas City, I think they lose by 20. But on their best day, they're the best team in the league. I mean, they could win the whole thing. It's just some of these teams have some warts. Um, Giants get a – that was a really entertaining game. Giants-Vikings, to me, was a great watch. Um Really well-coached game, getting the most out of subpar talent. I don't think either is a contender, but neither team beat themselves. Giants didn't run the ball in a traditional manner, but they got a lot of production when the day was done from Daniel Jones as a runner. The Vikes couldn't get much from the run game at all, and that's been a problem all year. Their defense is lackluster, to say the least. The Giants have two dudes that I am so jealous of as a Steeler guy. I, I want Andrew Thomas at left tackle, and I want Dexter Lawrence, their nose tackle, who never leaves the field. Lawrence is one of the best. He's one of the only defensive tackles I put over Cam Hayward right now. I mean, he's that good. People need to realize. And you see guys like him and Vita Vea, and makes me want to prioritize, you know, a big nose tackle, a modern-day Haloti Nada-type nose tackle that can disrupt the middle of the field. And it's something the Steelers might be able to address in the draft or get a Hargrave or a guy like that. Um, so great win by the Giants. Vikes are reeling a little bit. They're a little overrated. Um, talk about a couple notes with them as well. But Ravens-Bengals is the last game on the slate. Obviously, this one kind of hits home in terms of you know the AFC North battle. First of all, if I were Kenny Pickett, I would get every snap and break down every way possible Joe Burrow film. I mean, he continues to blow me away. The right side of their offensive line, replacement level guys, then they lose their left tackle, who was Jonah Williams, an overrated player. They couldn't block anybody. They had no running game. They couldn't lean on Mixon at any point. And Burrow once again adapts against a very good Raven defense, gets the ball out of his hand remarkably quick, precision, takes hits left and right, buys time with his feet. He's not a Josh Allen-like you know, specimen in terms of arm strength and size and all those things. But the way he processes, Kenny could learn a lot from him. And Kenny's not the processor Burrow, as few are, but he could become in that neighborhood. I mean, if, if he studies Burrow's career and his ascension and all the different things he's done, I think Kenny would learn an awful lot. And they're not that much different in age and situation. They play a bunch of common opponents, obviously, familiarity. And I give Huntley credit. I thought that was the best he's played. 
And you got to give Harbaugh credit. All those boys clock management at the end of that game. I mean, he, he went, he lost his game and he went in with, he didn't use all his timeouts. I mean, what are you doing? But they hung around. Again, this is just knowing each other's tendencies, familiarity. Made me a little proud of AFC North football that it's always going to be a grind it, slug it out type of manner. And I think it would have been if the Steelers played the Ravens or if the Steelers played the Bengals. So um, that's all I got for the first half here. I got a couple other little things to talk about that reflect from these games that are also Steeler related when we come back on the flip. All right. All right, these are more Steeler-related. So you watch the Giants, and I think throughout the 2022 season, them or the Ravens probably have the worst set of pass catchers in the league, let alone amongst playoff teams. At least they have Andrews in Baltimore. But, like, they're scheming dudes up. They're getting explosive plays through scheme. Like, I want you to watch the Giants, and maybe it won't come to fruition against San Fran. But if you remember yesterday, I mean, they're getting guys open through route concepts and using Barkley more than just as a dump off out of the backfield. And their receivers aren't good. I mean, guys like Hodgins, who had a big day for them, is a blocking type, Miles Boykin type. You know, like, my point is... Great scheming and great coaching, Dayball. You know, in, in particular, although he doesn't, he had the audacity not to even call his own plays. He he handed that off, but he's got a huge influence. You can get so much out of lesser talent, let alone Shanahan with amazing talent. I mean, that's when all worlds collide, and you're just an unstoppable force. But I I, I just think about what would that Giants offensive staff do with Deontay and Pickens and Fryermuth and, you know, better interior line than they have. So scheme and creating opportunity for these guys, you know, to create after the catch is really lacking here. And, and it's a great equalizer. I mean, it's unbelievably important. I absolutely think coaching this sport is more important than any other. Um, brings me to this too. I mean, a couple other things, you know, the Vikings, were they a great team this year? No. They won a lot of games. They won 11 one-score games, which has never happened in the history of the league. But this is another instance, again, of knowing what you are, being a well-coached team. And here's my Vikings example is some of this is luck, you know, without question. But they by far had the best penalty differential in the league this year. They didn't take their first penalty in this game until I think deep in the third quarter. Um, hadn't been penalized, I don't think, through the whole first half. And they ended up with like just under 300 yards more penalty yardage than their opponents throughout the year. And tons of extra first downs through penalty, tons of extra time of possession. And I'm not giving the Steelers a hard time in this. I'm just talking about when you're not a superhuman Allen Mahomes driven team. Hidden yardage is unbelievably important. Special teams, penalties, things of that nature. 
So I'm sure some of you are wondering, you know, where'd the Steelers end up? I mean, the Vikings were number one by a distant margin. They were by a distant margin. Like, the Steelers were as close to even as any team in the league. You know, Carolina, I think, was plus four in terms of total yardage all year. Nobody was at zero. Carolina was the closest to zero in terms of, you know, differential. Steelers were just above that. They were like plus six. So they were as even, Steven, as any team in the league. Right in the middle, price 15th out of 32 teams in terms of penalty differential. And I'm almost certain the Steelers committed as many penalties as their opponents did this year. If not, it was down to one different, depending on how week 18 went. But that's the kind of thing you need to be very cognizant of. I know Tomlin is. I'm not being critical of that. It's just a, something to point out. Like when teams are like, how did the Giants win all these games this year? Well, they didn't take hardly any penalties and their opponents did, some of which they forced. Uh, a lot of Niner talk here. I've been getting a lot of Purdy versus Pickett conversations. Now, I need to study Purdy more. And what he's done is very, very impressive. You know, the numbers with him in the game are remarkable. I also don't think it's coincidence that that's kind of when McCaffrey got in the mix and got his feet wet there too. But the fact that they didn't have to change the offense for the last pick in the draft in his rookie year is remarkable in terms of him, his knowledge of the scheme. They didn't dummy it down for him. You know, like in Baltimore, when Lamar's out, they dummy it down. Well, they didn't dummy it down for him. So that to me is really important and really impressive with Purdy. However, unlike our boy Kenny Pickett, he throws to 90% open receivers. I mean, guys in stride that are remarkable talents, as we mentioned, McCaffrey and Debo and Kittle and Ayuk and wow. And they're always open by a yard or two, which is a giant cavernous window in the NFL where Kenny's always fitting it into tight windows, guys coming back to the ball, go routes where they're hugging the sidelines. Like you don't see the Niners throwing a lot of go routes, you know I mean? It's over the middle. It's after the catch. And my point is I'm not trying to make a, a hot take or anything like that, but I was asked directly, if you took Purdy out and put Pickett in, would it look better or worse? I think it would look better for San Francisco. And that's not a knock on Purdy. And I haven't studied him nearly as much as I have Pickett. But situation matters. And boy, does that show up in San Francisco. Um, last little nuggets, we'll keep it in the division. Bengals, as I mentioned, they're down three offensive linemen now. I mean, everyone thought, boy, the Bengals went all in and invested in their O-line. We knew how bad it was last year. We saw it in the Super Bowl. They went out and did a lot to their credit. But I never thought it was fixed, and I thought all year their O-line was okay, but well worse than the Steelers and not getting what they should out of their investment. And then they lost probably their best two guys, the right guard Kappa, the right tackle Collins, and then they lose Jonah Williams during this game, the left tackle, who's vastly overrated, to be very honest with you. They could be in huge trouble. And they also have corner issues, outside corner issues. They have Hilton in the slot, of course. Which corner issues against the Ravens doesn't matter at all, but it sure will against Buffalo or KC or Eagles if they get that far or Diners. But O-line against that front that they're going to face this upcoming week or Chris Jones or, you know, the big time teams. I'm worried about the Bengals in terms of the, the injuries and the weaknesses they've occurred lately, because like the Steelers, 
they went about 15 weeks without any O-line injuries, folks. And that's, that's, that's my example here of why you still need to reinforce the offensive line is at the wrong time, they're losing linemen. And depth there is very, very important. Uh, last nugget, I don't know what to make of Lamar. Um, you hear some reports that they're in good shape, that their buddies are going to be fine and his teammates back them. I think not going on that trip is pretty telling, and I really do think that he's not going to be a Raven next year. But I don't have any inside knowledge of that. I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves. Be a lot of Ravens talk. I think at a minimum they replace the offense coordinator, but I think there could be wholesale offensive changes for the Ravens. So interesting division stuff. Uh, Burrow is still the scariest dude in the North, though. I think he's king of the North as we speak right now. So we'll do more Steelers-centric stuff. Um, if you have any ideas for podcasts, too, hit me up at WilliamsonNFL. Over and out.